Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church in Wellston, Oklahoma, featuring the weekly teaching and preaching ministry of the church. We are grateful that you are choosing to join us today. Our prayer is that you are blessed by today's study of God's Word, and your heart will be receptive to what God desires to teach you today. For more information about FBC Wellston, please visit our website at fbcwellston.org. We hope you enjoyed today's service, and we look forward to studying God's Word with you today. Adam for leading us in prayer and Greg for leading us in worship and so many of you that serve with him on a regular basis. For the last months we have been in the book of Exodus but this morning I hope you have a Bible with you and that you will open it with me to the gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 1 and hopefully when you come in um, you get one of these bulletins on the back of that. There will always be some notes if you want to use that as we work through God's Word together on Sunday mornings. But Mark chapter 1 is where I would invite for you to join with me. I know just a few moments ago, Adam um, kind of offered up the pastoral prayer for us as a sanctuary, or us as a church and us as a congregation. But there's something else that's going on right now that I just want to make sure that we are mindful of. 38 years ago, a man by the name of Lane Buckley came to Wellston, and he began to serve at Trinity Baptist Church. For the last 38 years, Brother Lane, as many of us in this community would know him, has served this community. He has served Trinity Baptist Church faithfully. And this morning is the last Sunday in which he is preaching as the pastor of the church. So if you think about it, somebody, whether it's preaching, whether it's school teaching, whether it is digging a ditch, something you've done for 38 years, and now this is the last day. So I just want to offer, I want us together as a church, I will voice it out loud, but I just want us as a church to offer up a prayer. Offer up a prayer for Lane as he is, even at this moment, I'm assuming he is preaching right now, what is his last sermon as the pastor of the church and for the church as they begin to transition, as they begin to look for the next person that God would lead to that church, to lead that church in faithfulness. This is never a competition when it comes to different churches in the same community. There's enough lost people for all the churches to be filled up multiple times on any given Sunday. So it's never a competition. It's always that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we are both pursuing the same thing, and that is to make Jesus known into the community. So I just want you to be mindful, and even if you would just make sure and remember both Lane and his wife, Renee, um, this week, because I'm sure there's a whole list and there's a whole uh, thing of emotions that are going on in their lives, but then that you would just be in prayer for the church this week and the days ahead as they make this transition. So let me just lead us in a word of prayer for Lane and the church, but then also just remember them in the days ahead. Father, I cannot even begin to imagine What it would be like for Brother Lane after 38 years and coming to this Sunday. God, I can't even imagine what it's like for many that are in that church. And that there are, there are men and women in that church this morning that, God, that Brother Lane's the only pastor that they've ever known. So, Father, I pray that you be with Lane. I pray that you give him clarity. I pray that you give him a zeal. And I pray that, Father, that his legacy 
would be rich and would last for generations. Father, I pray for Trinity as they continue in this time of transition, as they continue. Father, I pray that you be with their unity. I pray that you be with their hearts. I pray that you be with their spirits. And I pray as Satan seeks to divide and as he seeks to break down, God, I pray that you would watch over them during this time and that God, that not the man they deserve, not even the man they want, but God, that you would bring to them the man that they need for the next chapter and for the ministry that you have in store for that church. So Father, I pray that you would be with them today. I pray for that you would be with them as they go throughout their retirement ceremonies this afternoon. And God, that we as a church, that we would pray for them. We would pray for both Brother Lane and Miss Renee and for everyone down there. That God, that they would just be faithful to you in these days. And I ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. We have been going through the last several months through the book of Exodus. And my desire in my heart looking at the book of Exodus was to look at a picture of what it means to be set apart. You come to the book of Exodus and it's how God takes his chosen people. He brings them out of the bondage. He gives them his rule, gives them his law, gives them his command, and sets them off to head to the promised land. So it's a, it's a story about being set apart. And I was hoping to, and I hope that you saw with me as we worked through Exodus, about how we see little pictures of what the mission of the church is, our holiness, our sanctification, our obedience, our faithfulness, and all these things that come into play with what it means to be set apart. Well, the question is, is when we think about what is the, maybe the uh, mission of the church, or this is what the church should be, or maybe even you think about the identity of the church, of who we are, and we can see that in the book of Exodus, when we come to the gospel of Mark, and why we're in the gospel of Mark, is because after we realize who we are, then we need to ask the question, what do we do? Or if we think about it in a different way, that we realize as Christians, as a church, we have been set apart. We have been set apart for what? What have we been set apart as a church for? So when you come to the Gospels, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You have four Gospels, and all of them are going to tell you the story about Jesus. The story about what Jesus has done. The story about what Jesus did and what he wants us to do. So if you think about Exodus as giving us a picture, as a snapshot, a, a model of who we are, the Gospel of Mark is one of the, three, the four Gospels, but this one in particular shows us then what it is that we do. And so I've entitled this whole sermon series, The Message for the Church, or The Message of the Church. Because in the day and age we're living in, we may talk about what does it mean to be a Christian, but then what do we do as a Christian. And there are so many different ideas out there of what it means to be a church or what it looks like to be a church. And you could leave here and within a 30 minute drive, you could be in a lot of different places that do things a lot of different ways. So the question is, is what is the message that the church has to give to not only the people inside these walls, but to the people outside these walls? What is it that they should know this church for? What is it that this church should be repeating over and over and over again? And so we're here in Mark chapter 1 to ask ourselves the question, what is the message that the church should be repeating? What is the message that the church should be proclaiming? What is it that we are to do in light of who we are? So we're going to start here in Mark chapter 1. A good place to start is to start at the beginning 
This morning we're going to look at this idea of the message that God has given the church through the life of Jesus Christ, through the writing and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, through the pen of Mark, and what is the message. And we're going to break this up in several weeks, but we're looking at what is the message of the church. Because at the end of the day, we can do Sunday school, we can do Wednesday night events, we can do children's activities, we can do student activities, we can do adult activities, we can do mission activities, we can do all these things, but all of these should boil down to what is the message that we are seeking to communicate as a church. So when it comes to the message, and I, you see that at the top of your notes, the church has a message. Let's look at this message together. So in Mark chapter 1 and verse 1, we're just going to look at the first few verses here in this gospel, but notice how Mark begins talking about the message for the church. He says, chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, some of your translations may not have that final phrase, the Son of God. It depends on what original manuscripts they were going with, but it's the idea that Mark begins by saying everything that is to come, the whole story that Mark is going to give us about what is to come, it starts with the beginning of the gospel of Jesus. And I put there in your notes, you'll see along when it comes to the elements that we have of the gospel, it starts with us having a Messiah. A Messiah, that's what he's saying when he talks about the beginning of the gospel. What is the beginning of the message of the church? Where is the starting point of the church? What is the beginning of the mission of the church, the method of the church, the message of the church? All of these things, it starts with us understanding that everything begins with the fact and the reality that we have a Messiah. Now, a Messiah is another word. It can mean a Savior. It can mean Jesus Christ. It can mean somebody that has come to be a redeemer. What Mark is wanting to tell us is, is everything that is to come all hinges on the reality that Jesus is coming. That's what he's talking about. Jesus has come in our present. And so he's reminding us that this story, this picture, this gospel is all about Jesus. They may say, well, Spence, why in the world does this matter? Because, church, so many times we forget that when it comes to the message of the church, when it comes to the mission of the church, we forget who should be the center of the story. And it should always be Jesus. Mark says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, he makes it very distinct that this gospel, which means good news, this gospel is not about your golf swing. This gospel is not about your possessions. This gospel is not about how cute your grandkids are. This gospel is not about the new next TV show. This gospel is not about your vacation pictures. This gospel is all about Jesus. And when it comes to the church, our message is to all be centered about Jesus. He says it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Years ago, I had a coworker. And he picked this line up, and I don't know where he got it from. It was some, I'm assuming it's a silly movie knowing him. But he would go around and he'd repeat this line. And so he'd be around a group of people, and he, he would look at him and he'd say, Well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a big deal. And everybody would chuckle. And he'd go around, and he was constantly repeating that line, looking at people. And he'd, he'd keep looking at him, going, You know, I'm kind of a big deal. Like we were supposed to be like, Oh, yeah, you're somebody. You're somebody important. You're somebody big. And, and it's the, the idea that if you've got to tell me you're a big deal, you're probably not that big of a deal. <laughs> right? Right, But when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to what Mark is saying, Mark is saying Jesus is a big deal. 
So when it comes to the message that we have as a church, when it comes to the message that we have individually, we understand that the beginning of what our message is as a church, it starts with Jesus because Jesus is a big deal. Some of you will refer to your life in the B.C. terms. Y'all heard of that before? The B.C. terms. No, it's not the dating system. It's the idea of who you were before Christ. And so you'll sometimes hear people and they'll say, you know what, back in my B.C. days, and they'll go off in a story about how they were a hoodlum or how they were a heathen or how they were doing dumb stuff. And the idea that this is who I was before Jesus saved me, and now this is who I am after Jesus saved me. Are we tracking? Hopefully there's a story for everyone that's in this room. Hopefully there's a story for all of us that we can say, this is who I was before Christ, and now this is who I am after Christ. And so when Mark comes in here in Mark chapter 1, he says, I want you to understand that anything that you have to say to a watching world, a listening world, a world outside these walls, everything, it has to start with Jesus. And sometimes we start with entertainment. Sometimes we start with pandering. Sometimes we start with compromise. Sometimes we start with capitulation. Sometimes we start with softening, watering down. Sometimes we start with all, a lot of different places. But Mark says the beginning of the story, the beginning of the message of the church starts with a Messiah. But then it goes to a message. And so in verse 2, Mark continues in the gospel and he says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophets. Now again, some of your translations may just say, as it is written in the prophets. Why would there be a distinction? Because when he quotes here, these next two quotations, one comes out of Malachi chapter 3 and and the other one comes out of Isaiah chapter 40. And so he says in verse 2, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. So we think about what the message of the church is to be. What Mark gives us as what our message should be, it starts with saying we have a Messiah. That is first and foremost, and that's, kind of a, that, that, that's a big deal, and that changes everything. But then when it comes to what we know about that Messiah and what we say about that Messiah, we understand that we have been given a message. We don't have to form a group to discover what the message is. We don't have to put together a side of people to determine what the message is. We don't have to kind of bring a group of people together to define what the message is because he has given us the message. And what is the message? When you go back to Malachi chapter 3 and you were to go back to Isaiah chapter 40, what you're going to find in both places, God is speaking to the prophet, to the people to tell them, hey, let them know Jesus is coming. Now some of you may say, well, Spence, you got your date's backward because Jesus has already come. And yes, I understand that when the prophet is speaking back in Malachi chapter 3 and Isaiah 40. Jesus has not come yet. And so the prophet is looking towards the incarnation that Jesus is coming. But today, you and I, we are looking back to the incarnation when Jesus did come. And we are also looking forward to the next time that Jesus is going to come. So if you and I look at people around us or we just look to one another and we say Jesus is coming, we're not wrong. So he says, this is the message. Jesus is coming. And when was the last time you looked at anybody and said, Jesus is coming, aren't you excited? Well, 
I can already tell you probably haven't because not very many of you look excited about the idea that Jesus is coming. I'm looking at some of your faces and you're looking like, you know what? I'm just not that thrilled about the idea that Jesus is coming. Why not? Well, because I've got the roast in the oven. He can't come before I get my roast done. And I've got my garden. I've spent a lot of hot days out there in that garden. And if he comes before I get my garden in, that's not going to work. Or some of you are going, well, my grandkids got a ball game tomorrow night, and I really want to see that ball game. See, there's some things in this world that we don't get excited about. But Mark is saying, do you understand the message of the church is not come here for Sunday morning service. The message of the church before that is Jesus is coming. Oh, my gracious. We're just going to have to spend more time until you all get excited. That's what Lane does. Lane says, I'm going to sit here until you start to respond. So we're just going to follow his mold. But the idea of what Mark is doing is he's telling them and he's reminding them when it comes to the message of the church, yes, we can talk about programming. Yes, we can talk about education. Yes, we can talk about discipleship. But at the core of what we have to tell to people in here and to people outside of here is what? Jesus is coming. You think about Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. It says, let us, not, let us not neglect the assembly, but let us stir up one another to love and good works, not neglected to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. The idea that when we come in, there will be times that I will walk in and my lip will be dragging to the bottom of the ground and I'll just be all tired and I'll be wore out and I'll just be beat down. And maybe Kale is here going, hey, guess what? Jesus is coming. And then maybe there'll be sometimes, and I doubt it very, 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 very seriously with a wife like his, but there may be times that he comes in and maybe he's down. Maybe he's discouraged. And Kale comes in and he's got his lip and he's dragging the ground and he's like, oh, humbug, bloom and despair and agony on mine. And I get to go and encourage him. That's the idea that Mark is saying. Mark is saying, we have a message. And you look at the last part of verse three, and this is the message prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now, you might have heard this before, but this goes back to a biblical tradition. You would have the rulers, you would have the kings of the certain areas, and then your king... Big Pants, and, and King Big Pants says, you know what, I'm going to decide, I'm going to go out and I'm going to look at my kingdom. And he would say, I'm going to make this big circuit, and I'm going to travel. I'm going to go up here, and I'm going I'm to make my way up to Kearney, then I'm going to travel over to Tryon, then I'm going to come down here to Parkview, then I'm going to come down to Chandler, then I'm going to come back over to Warwick, and then I'll come back to Wellston. And, and to make sure that everybody was ready for King Big Pants, he would send out messengers. And these messengers would go to these areas. And they would come into the town, and they would say, hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. King Big Pants is coming. And the idea was, fix your roads, fix your houses, get your mailbox straightened back up, get your clothes washed, get your kids all, be ready because the king is coming. And when he shows up, you want to make sure that everything is presentable. So what Mark is saying is, when it comes to this idea that Jesus is coming, get ready. And so the, 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 the herald would come and he would go to the towns and he would tell them, hey, the king is coming. And he would have all these things that says there, make his path straight. It was the idea that when the king is coming, he doesn't want to go up and down the, the creek banks. He wants to go straight on the road. He wants it to be a smooth road. When he's coming in his chariot or when he's coming in his people being carried him, King Big Pants doesn't want to go through up the... Go, duck underneath the trees and go over the logs. He wants everything to be straight. So, so Mark is saying, listen, when it comes to the gospel, our message is get ready, but not just get ready, but be ready. What's the difference, Spence? 
<clears throat> What's the difference in get ready and be ready? Well, maybe some of you can relate to a Sunday morning event at your house. Especially if you got kids. So some of you all, you wake up and you got kids. And so you, you know that this is going to be a journey. To get your kids ready and get them to church in the same state of readiness that you got them in at the house. So you get up and some of you have been blessed with daughters. And I, this is just what I think. I don't know. I have no experience. But some of you may get up there and you may fix their hair. You may comb their hair. And you may put a nice pretty dress on them. And you may put a brette in their hair and do some other stuff. And you have them ready. But then sometimes there's a, there's a lap in there, maybe 20 minutes, maybe 15 minutes from that time to the time you get in the car to leave to go to the church. And during that time is when things happen. So who you got ready, and now it's time to go get in the car, is still not, or was ready, but is not ready. Does that make sense? All right. So, so they, they got ready, but they're not, and this is bad English, but it's good theology, they got ready, but they're not be ready. Okay, are you tracking with me? So it's this idea that they got ready, but they're not be ready. Well, what does that mean for me? Well, some of you all, some of us, maybe, maybe more accurate, we get ready, we get saved, we know who Jesus is, we know who God is, we say this is what it means to be obedient, and we get right once. And then we get lazy. And we let things lax. And we let things slip. And so we got ready, but we're not staying ready. It's this idea that Mark is coming and he's saying this is the message of the church. The message of the church is not just get ready. The message of the church is get ready and be ready. Get ready, stay ready. Why? Because we have no idea when the king is coming. We have no idea when Jesus is going to appear. It tells us elsewhere in the Gospels that no one knows the time or the hour. Only God knows the time and the hour. First Thessalonians 4 says, When that time happens, you're going to hear the sound of the trumpet, the shout of the archangel, and we're done. We're out. The church is gone. It's this idea that you and I have no idea. So he says this is the message of the church. You have a Messiah, and that changes everything. You have a message, and what is that message? Jesus is coming. Get ready. Be ready because he is coming. But then there's another element to the message that, God, that Mark is giving to the church. He shows us the Messiah. He shows us the message. But then also notice he talks about the messenger. Now he gives us an example. Mark chapter 1 and verse 4. He said, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins and all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've been in church for very long, you'll know who we're talking about. We're talking about John the Baptist. 
Luke chapter 1, John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, is there in the, temp- the, in, the, in the temple offering up the uh, offering and the atonement for the people. And the angel shows up and says, hey, Zechariah, you and your wife Elizabeth, you haven't been able to have children, but you're going to have a child. You're going to call him John. He's going to be known as John the Baptist because know that we started, Baptist started way back in the day, right? So it's the idea that you're going to be John the Baptist. And here's what. He is going to be the forerunner. He is going to be the messenger going throughout the countryside saying, Jesus is coming, get ready and be ready. And so what we see in the other Gospels, whether it's the Gospel of John, the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Luke, Mark just kind of takes and gives us the paraphrase or the shortened version. And what does he say? He talks about the messenger of John the Baptist. Now, when he describes John the Baptist, how does he describe him? Does he describe him as a very dapper, dressed man? No. He's got a leather belt around his waist. Does he talk about, oh, you know, and he is so suave and he is so debonair and he is so socially adept? No. He eats wild honey and he eats grasshoppers. The Bible says locusts, grasshoppers, whatever you want to call them, bugs. Bugs. He eats bugs and honey, and that is his diet. You know, you're talking about a very strange individual. But you know, the focus that Mark is showing is it is not the outside appearance of the person, but it is the what the messenger is being used for. And so he comes out, it says in verse 4, he comes out of the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance. He comes out of the wilderness saying, Jesus is coming, repent before it is too late. If we were to be honest in this room, I think we'd have to admit, that the message of the church today or our words are peculiar. The things that we have to say to a watching world or maybe even sometimes the things we say to ourselves and to other people around us, they can be very peculiar. Something like, hey, there's a guy named Jesus. He came from heaven 2,000 years ago. Came as a baby, born born as a baby, grew up, lived as an adult, never once sinned against God, died, gave his life up freely to die on a cross, was put into a tomb which was sealed by military guards, stayed in that tomb for three days, and after three days... He comes back alive. He walks around the earth for several weeks. A bunch of people see him, and then at the very end of it, he ascends, or, and I'm not trying to be sacrilegious, but he floats back to heaven. That's a peculiar message. Now, it's not peculiar to us because we know it and we know it, but you think about to a watching world, that could be a peculiar message. And they say, well, why in the world would he do that? Well, here's the really cool thing. See, you and I, we sinned against God. And so that means that when we die, if we're guilty of our sins, we have not been forgiven of our sins, we go to hell. But if God has forgiven us for our sins, we've prayed and asked for God to forgive us for our sins because of what Jesus did for us, we can be forgiven given. See, our our words are peculiar, but our message is positive. We are looking at individuals and saying, there is hope. There is help. There is something that God has done to provide a way so that we can be forgiven. But our message is, can be, if we are honest, can seem weird if it wasn't true. 
So see, John the Baptist comes out of the desert, and he's not so much worried about himself. He's not worried about his background, what he knows, his education, his intelligence. He's not coming out trying to say, well, let me have some newfangled way of trying to show you. He just comes out and says, I'm going to give you the truth. Jesus is coming. Are you ready? And sometimes we can get so worked up of trying to tailor the message To fit the people, we forget that we are not the ones in charge of the message. We're just simply the messenger meant to deliver the message. I don't know who I heard it from, so I'm not trying to take credit. But here a while back, I heard someone talking about raising children. And the person was saying, you know, we're living in a day and age that you hear a lot of parents, and a lot of parents are going, man, this is such a difficult time for our kids, and especially when you think about our students today and all the things that they're bombarded with and all the temptations that are around them and all the opportunities for this world to really get in there and infect their minds. And it was talking about how, what a danger it is and how, how, how depressing it is for parents to be raising children in this season and in this time of the world. But the author said, or the person that was speaking said, you know, but I see it a different way. And they were talking about raising boys, which is why I was listening. And they said, can you imagine what a privilege and opportunity is to raise dragon slayers in a time when there are still dragons? And the idea was, what a privilege and an opportunity it is to be able to raise a family when darkness and evil and danger is all around us. Or maybe I even put there in your notes what a privilege it is, what an opportunity it is to be a Christian and to be a church living in such a time when there are still people who have not heard about Jesus. That we are living in such a time and such a day when there are people all around us that have never heard about Jesus. And yet how many times do I And maybe even how many times do you get so concerned with us as the messenger, we forget the opportunity of our message. So Mark comes in in this gospel and he says, the church has a message. And the message that God has given to the church is that we have a Messiah. And this Messiah has come and given us a message to share to the world. And as we have a Messiah and as we have a message, we are now then the messengers. If you look just right across the page in your Bible, most of your Bibles, you'll be in Matthew chapter 28. And in Matthew 28, you get the Great Commission where Jesus says, because I have all authority and because I have been given everything, now I want you to go. It's this idea that when we as a church realize that we have a Messiah and the Messiah has given us a message that therefore we are now messengers to go and tell people. And what are we telling people? We're telling people Jesus is coming. So in the book of Exodus, we would look at what this means then when it comes to the core values of the church. To build families, to teach the Bible, and to be the church. And we looked at it through that lens of those core values. As we are spending some time in the Gospel of Mark, I want us to think about this message that God is giving us through the pen of Mark. But I want to see it differently, not through just the core values, but I want, to see, I want us to see it, think about it through the different levels in our lives. And you'll see there in the notes and maybe even above me on the screen, we're going to talk about how this message impacts and influences us in our homes. 
how this message impacts and influences us in our witness, in our walk, and how it influences us in our evangelism. Because this message, Jesus is coming, this message that he is coming, this has ripple effects throughout our lives. So just think with it here for a moment. How does this idea that Mark is driving, the fact that Jesus is coming, how does it impact our homes? Well, we think about it. Our homes today is the church tomorrow. What do you mean, Spence? I mean that the people that are going to be leading the church, supporting the church, facilitating the church, advancing the ministry of the church, they are the children at the home today. So if our children are growing up and their priorities are not centered upon Jesus and their priorities are not centered upon God, then what do you think the future of the church and what do you think the future of the Christian light in the world is going to be if the home today is not centered upon God. That's why it's so important that our homes are centered around God. Because if our children and if our adults aren't centered upon God, then how do we expect the church to be centered upon God in the future? So we talked about in our homes why it's so necessary. It's because when it comes to our homes, we can have a lot of different messages. But one of the central messages must be Jesus is coming. And that affects my parenting. That affects my children's behavior. That affects what we do with our time. That affects what we do with our resources. That affects everything. What about our witness? Well, Sometimes there's a danger for you and I to come to church and say one thing at church, but then love something different outside the church. The danger with that is when the message and the messenger do not match, we call that fraud. We call that fraud. Did you see the story here the other day about the 19-year-old that walks into the car dealership in Oklahoma City? And he has a vehicle, and he walked into the car dealership, and he attempted to sell the vehicle to the car dealership. And I'm just going to throw out some hypothetical numbers because I don't remember the exact number. But he walked in there and said, I have a $40,000 vehicle I want to sell you. And the, and the car dealership is like, this is your vehicle? It's my vehicle. How much do you want it? Well, I only own like $5,000 on it. Oh, you're lying. So they call the finance company, and the finance company says, yeah, he only owes $5,000. So the dealership pays the guy $35,000 for the vehicle. He walks out with a check for $35,000 only to find out he had made a fraudulent payment to the finance company, which hadn't cleared and gotten back. So now he has $35 from the dealership that isn't his. And I'm reading this article coming out of Oklahoma City, and I'm thinking, they started with the story about a 19-year-old. Nobody picked up on that it was a 19-year-old with a $40,000 vehicle. And I'm like, did somebody not do some homework? What was the problem? The message and the messenger, the two were not the same. They did not match. And brothers and sisters, when you and I go out into the society and we say one thing in here, but we do something different out there, we might call it hypocrisy. We might call it lying. Or we might call it so then how does this also work into our evangelism? Well, as I've said, it comes back to this reminder that when it comes to the gospel of Jesus, the, the message of Mark, it's that we have a message to tell people the king is coming. Growing up, on Sunday mornings, the McConnell household, on 93.3, normally it was a country station, 
But on Sunday mornings, they would have the, the gospel hour. And we'd get up in the mornings, and my dad would be down there in the kitchen, and he would take that DeWalt boombox, and he would crank the thing as loud as it would go. And my dad would go throughout the house, belting out his renditions of these gospel songs. And you, there's, more, there's more than just one gospel singers, but you know Bill and Gloria Gaither, they have sang, they have sang a bunch of them. And there was one particular song that I remember that my dad got really excited about. He could hear the opening, the melody as it was coming up. And before the, even the lyrics start, you could see my dad get excited because the song was coming. He gets to sing the song to the enjoyment of all of us in the home. And even since then, I have played this for some of my children, and I can tell that they are thoroughly enjoyed with the song as well. And it goes like this. The marketplace is empty. No more traffic in the streets. All the builders' tools are silent. No more time to harvest wheat. Busy housewives cease their labor. In the courtroom, no debate. Work on earth is all suspended as the king comes through the gate. Oh, the king is coming. The king is coming. I just heard the trumpet sounding, and now his face I see. Oh, the king is coming. The king is coming. Praise God. He's coming for me. Happy faces line the hallways. Those whose lives have been redeemed. Broken homes that he has mended. Those from prison he has freed. Little children and the aged hand in hand stand all aglow who were crippled, broken, and ruined, clad in garments white as snow. I can hear the chariots rumble. I can see the marching throng. The flurry of God's trumpet spells the end of sin and wrong. Regal robes are now unfolding. Heaven's grandstands all in place. Heaven's choir now assembled start to sing amazing grace. Oh, the King is coming the king is coming. I just heard the trumpet sounding, and now his face I see. Oh, the king is coming. The king is coming. Praise God. He's coming for me. We have a message. We have a message as a church. The king is coming. The king is coming for me. Is he coming for you? Thank you for joining us today at FBC Wellston. We would love to hear from you or connect with you if you will visit our website at fbcwellston.org. Please let us know if we can serve you in any way, and we look forward to connecting with you in the future.